Good afternoon. We are today exactly seven years away from the year 2030. That is when we have set for ourselves as a global community the target to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. Between now and then, and especially over the last three years, two things are very clear. First, Agenda 2030, as it is described, the development uh, framework that, has, that was agreed upon in the year 2015, it's fairly clear that that agenda has been imperiled by the events of the last two to three years. What is equally clear is that Agenda 2030 and everything that it entails is absolutely indispensable to create a prosperous and a stable future. So the dilemma that we have before us is how do we take something that is so indispensable and yet so endangered and translate it into the central feature of our policy making nationally and globally. We have a wonderful panel ahead of us, so I'm going to dive right in. Uh, my first question is to Ministers Vieira and Minister Bandor. You are both, both of your countries are going to be hosting the presidency of the G20 in the next two years. What do you believe that the G20 can do to overcome the three biggest challenges we have in prioritizing development? There is the mind space challenge, which is attention to issues that are long term. There is the financial challenge, particularly for a lot of emerging economies and low income countries. And then there's the technological and the solutions challenge of actually implementing programs on the ground. What do you believe that the G20 as a framework can really help to do in terms of setting priorities that would prioritize and put forward the development agenda? Minister Vera, can we start with you? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. This is a very interesting question. Um, I think that the presence of emerging countries in the G20 is exceptional, is very important. Each one brings a very special and unique contribution to the G20 discussions. And since last year, when we had the the uh, Indonesian chairmanship of the G20, we started having three developing countries at the Troika. And this is true for this time, and it will also be next year when uh, South Africa will be chairing uh, the G20. I believe that this is a very important contribution, and during this period, we'll be able to bring each country our uh, our own experience and our own mechanisms of to, to uh, fight the problems that uh, we have to face each country as a developing country. In Brazil, we have a lot of issues that have been have to be dealt domestically, such as fight against uh, poverty, inequality, uh, health issues, education issues and environment issues. So we, in this new government of President Lula, who's been in office only for two months, we have a set of uh, different measures that uh, are being implemented in each fundamental, in each priority area, which uh, will be brought, of course, to the discussion 
within the G20. I think that we can uh, we can give an important con contribution each of our countries uh, according to the priorities and the needs that we have uh, back home. I think this will be an important issue, uh, good examples and a good uh, list of issues to be discussed. Thank you, Minister. Minister Pandor, the same question to you. Thank you very much. Um, I think that the uh, chair plays a very important role in setting uh, the agenda for, for the G20. And so for us as uh, the three developing countries uh, that will have the privilege of being chair, it's going to be absolutely imperative that a focus on development issues is incorporated into whatever theme uh, we choose. I also think it's absolutely vital that we ensure a focus on the African continent because that's really the part that we're leaving behind in terms of uh, human uh, uh, development. And so I believe as South Africa we certainly would seek a focus on Africa. I also think that uh, as developing countries in the G20 we cannot set the agenda on our own uh, solely nor can we achieve the advances that are, are our ambition. Uh, so as the chair, it's going to be vital that we uh, have fairly robust uh, conversations with our colleagues in the more privileged part of the world, the wealthier countries, to really persuade and encourage that uh, the sentiment of support for development, which is articulated on the global stage all the time, uh, that we want to see concrete reality with respect to these often stated aspirations. So uh, we've talked post-COVID about the impact on the economies of developing countries, where many of them had to shut down their economies to protect uh, their citizens. And what has happened is uh, many are now caught in an awful debt trap. They do not have liquidity. As G20, uh, in 2020, we agreed that efforts must be made to help restore liquidity, particularly to the most poor and to emerging uh, economies. That promise has not been realized. They're not getting access to special drawing rights, uh, which uh, lie within the remit of the World Bank. Uh, so we're not honoring um, the obligations that we state so robustly uh, on international fora. Uh, and I think we must persuade our colleagues to act on the promise. Finally, I think young people should become activists. Uh, it shouldn't be left to pl uh, politicians alone uh, all of us should be concerned when people are hungry, when they're poor and marginalized. And so, so, as citizens of our countries, which are G20 members, we should be asking questions about what are you doing? What are you contributing? How is the world changing because of policy decisions that you're taking? I know when there's a difficult environment, the focus often becomes inward. But uh, we also need to understand that if the poor part of the world enjoys a livelihood 
and development. It benefits all of us significantly, and so we should have an interest in advancing the poor who currently lack opportunity. Thank you. That's a very important point. But let me push a little bit to both of you um, on the how. Uh, typically, all of the issues that you both outlined are long-term issues. They're deep structural issues. Um, solutions take time to implement. Uh, when um, we look at uh, fora such as the G G20, they tend to be dominated by the short term, be that a financial crisis or be that a political crisis. What are the mechanisms then that the G20 can actually embed long-termism into um, its uh, agenda setting and, and again following through on the promises as you said? Well, I, I think to, to be fair really to the G20, um, there have been attempts to, to follow through. For example, several, several years ago, there was discussion about gender equality and a mechanism was put in place to essentially carry out research to establish the position of equality, particularly the empowerment of women. And we agreed a set of measures, including financial inclusion, that all G20 countries are committed to. So within, um, I think, the intellectual or knowledge institutions in our various countries, we have the mechanism to do the footwork the hard work that we must then draw on as policymakers to put in place policies and measures that would address the particular problem. But if you uh, merely make good statements for the public domain, then you're not really serious about the intention. Let me turn to Minister Ganu. Uh, Minister, from um, your perspective, what are the expectations that you have from the G20 uh, in terms of the development issues that are most important to you and countries like yours to be reflected? And do you think that's adequately happening? Thank you for your question. Um, I must tell you firstly that Mauritius is a small island and uh, in fact, today we all know uh, how climate change and global war warming is an existential threat, uh, especially to small island developing states. In fact, um, uh, the deterioration of the ecosystem and the environment is tangible, is palpable to us today. Uh, our shores are eroding, uh, floods, uh, our current phenomenon, uh, drought, uh, storms, which we call cyclones in our language, uh, are happening more frequently. Uh, therefore, uh, to me, the, what the G20, the hopes that we place into the G20, and I should perhaps have thank the Prime Minister of India and the government for having invited Mauritius as a guest country uh, this time. This was an, a unique opportunity for us to make the voice of small island developing states be heard, which I tried to do uh, in my intervention yesterday, during my two interventions, during the debates, during my intervention. Uh, so what I was saying is that I think just like in 2007, 
after the economic and financial crisis, where, may I uh, remind you, that the G20 20 nations at this time uh, agreed to spending, um, to invest and to spend about 4 trillion USD to revive the global uh, and the financial system in order to achieve higher growth. Uh, and uh, they also initiated far-reaching reforms of the, of the system, of the financial system in those days. So to answer your question, therefore, in terms of quick and low-hanging gains, in terms of quick measures that, that have to be taken, I think the G20 can help us to, um, uh, to, uh, to uh, trickle down, to make it, uh, uh, to ensure that funds are trickled down to the small island developing states. Uh, since, COP 20, uh, since COP 15, uh, there have been several pledges, as you know, to fight against global warming. Unfortunately, these pledges, uh, these pledges has never been followed, the funds had never been dispersed in the past. So my plea uh, today to G20 is that there is an urgency for international financing, for pledges to trickle down to these recip recipient developing countries, including the SIDS, for the implementation of these um, projects uh, with a view to mitigate the adverse effects of uh, the impacts of global warming and, and climate change. Uh, to us, this is a priority. We are doing our part, I must tell you, in terms of NDC, the, the determined contribution. I know, for example, in my country, we have agreed to, uh, to put in about 40% of the funds, which comes down to billions and billions of, of, of Mauritian rupees. So we are expecting also that uh, uh, friendly countries uh, come in and contribute the rest for us to be able to counter the adverse effects of climate change, which, as you know, is an ex existential threat. Country, a country, an island like Maldives, for example, you know what is, how, how bad is the situation. Uh, so this is the urgency of the time. This is why we, we are confident that the uh, developed countries in G20 will hear our plea and uh, will give us a helping hand. Thank you. Thank you. That's a very sobering reminder for us that there are many countries not at the table at the G20 whose concerns are uh, absolutely vital for the planet. Director General Belloni, um, having uh, Italy's experience of being the chair of the presidency um, a few years ago, what opportunities do you think that the G20 really offers in terms of addressing the limitations of the international financing framework? Because finance is something that's come up uh, from uh, what all the three ministers have said. Uh, and do you believe that there is uh, a way to uh, address some of the financial insecurities that not only help vulnerable economies, but also lead to greater stability? Yes, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, uh, let me say that uh, for Italy, it is really a big challenge to be here during the uh, presidency of India. And in a moment when you have a troika, which is composed by three very relevant and uh, as stated yesterday by our prime minister, Italy is ready to support uh, 
the achievement of uh, important results during these uh, uh, presidencies, and certainly we will try to give our contribution at the best of our possibilities. Coming to your question, I know that I run the risk of being banal, but probably it is worth uh, reminding all of us that um, probably it has been, in some instances, a mistake to split uh, economy and development uh, and uh, the global context or the specific context where uh, decisions taken at G20 level or for what it matters also at national level um, because we do think, we, we did realize during our presidency of the G20 but for what it matters also uh, since when we started dealing with the issue of development cooperation that uh, the political context becomes an integral part of the possibility of actually implementing uh, the economic or development uh, uh, decisions that you want to take. And in this respect now, after a period of accelerated globalization, we are entering a phase where in the presence still of the effects of globalizations, we have to adapt to a faster deglobalization. With all the implications, deglobalization, of course, caused by a number of reasons, including uh, and above all uh, the war uh, in Europe, uh, in Ukraine. And of course, uh, the impact of uh, this context, uh, of the changes in the present context, do affect emerging countries, but mostly developing and poor countries more than others. And we should keep this in mind in order to remind ourselves of what our commitments are. Um, I come to one point, which is the nexus between development and security. Uh, what I mean is that uh, we are, of course, uh, confronted by the fact that you cannot have development in an insecure environment, nor you can have uh, a secure environment without development. Uh, and this explains why we should look at these two issues together. How to do it in the G20 context? Probably we should start considering the possibility, I know that I'm a little bit provocative in that, but uh, merging the financial track and, uh, the, and the, 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 the Sherpa track and the development track. Uh, which implies that, uh, and in this respect, we very much support India, listening to the global south, but listening to, to each other. I mean, we have to find a common ground. I keep on saying that probably the best thing is to start with the common denominator, the minimum common denominator. What are the minimum common denominator? Probably those issues that are of common interest. No question that climate change is of common interest. We should all understand that energy, health, the, the pandemic uh, proved it very clearly to all of us. What Italy did during the G20 presidency in Italy, we launched the so-called uh, uh, coalition for food, uh, for food security. In the Matera declaration, we focused on food in all its uh, articulated aspects, be it uh, the financing of sub-food systems, uh, be it uh, financing climate adaptation in agriculture, be it uh, uh, financing the possibility of increasing resi resilience uh, of agri-food uh, chains, be it increasing the financing for 
education in this field. But of course, this kind of the methodology could be applied to all the other relevant sectors. And uh, I conclude with that. I'm not suggesting that we should limit ourselves to one or two topics. But probably starting with those common that prove that we have common interest may help also understand that then there are all the other aspects that will have to be tackled equally. Thank you very much. And, you know, moving from that point, um, Director General Belloni uh, spoke about how countries are now turning inward. And, Dr. Song, I wanted to ask you, how can the G20 propel technological and financial support to promote sustainable development? And where will these sources of growth come from, given there's increasing autarky in the world, at least right now as we see it? Well, thank you. Um, I'm pleased to be in this panel, uh, precisely because, especially because uh, Korea in 2010, when we hosted uh, the G20, it was us that brought uh, development into the G20 agenda. We negotiated with the G7 uh, countries and persuaded them finally. Uh, having said that, uh, I'm saddened to uh, say that uh, the uh, efforts to uh, address the sustainable development goals have been backsliding, uh, particularly due to the um, lingering impact of the COVID-19, uh, the Ukraine war, and inflationary pressures, and on uh, the ensuing um, monetary uh, tightening tightening monetary policy of uh, major economies, especially the U.S. Federal Reserve. Well, technology is the main um, field of competition in today's uh, geopolitical and geoeconomic setting. But it also plays a critical role in uplifting all out of poverty and into prosperity together with financial support. I'm not saying technology can solve every problem but technology uh, can benefit uh, many of us uh, into prosperity. And I think this uh, technology and uh, finance, financial support are critical elements, two critical elements we can harness toward addressing the uh, sustainable development goals. We witnessed um, digital-based technology like FinTech, digital health, and 5G helped many people to deal with the pandemic. For developing um, countries, remittances are a great source of revenue uh, for millions of people. And this technology, cost-efficient, fast, and um, time-saving digital uh, remittances helped millions of families in developing countries. India's unified um, payments interface is a good example of harnessing technology for financial inclusion and economic growth. In the same vein, I think the uh, central bank's uh, digital currency, once implemented, will benefit the uh, vulnerable groups more. And digital personal identification and registration infrastructure, that also allow people uh, to have equal access to basic rights and services. And uh, there are many benefits uh, technology can bring to us. And um, G20, what's the G20, G20's role in promoting technology support? 
G20 should be a key player in a global and regional coordination with various technological, technology developers and organizations, I think. And the G20 should promote and manage a multi-stakeholder approach. But at the same time, G20 development discussions should not be too big and too unwieldy uh, by inviting one too many you know, uh, stakeholders uh, to the discussion and end up producing no meaningful um, uh, deliverables. And on financial support, uh, we know uh, there's a growing finance, uh, financing gap for developing countries. So much so, recently, uh, UN General Secretary, Secretary General Guterres has called for G20 to agree a uh, rather ambitious $500 billion stimulus, uh, annual stimulus to uh, developing countries and convert short-term uh, lending into long-term debt at lower interest rates for sustainable development. Well, while much needed, uh, it looks a very tall order uh, due to the poly crisis and also the global economic and financial situation. Uh, uh, the global economic situation wh where we are still in the recovery phase. Nonetheless, I think uh, G20 can uh, still exert some influence to the international financial institutions' lending practices and enhancing uh, MDB's multilateral uh, multi development bank's capital base. I'm not saying it can be uh, done easily. In reality, G20's uh, influence can be limited unless members with a bigger say uh, take the lead as uh, the Bretton Woods institutions are quota-based institutions. Um, you know, why do you think uh, low-income countries do seek out, do seek for uh, alternative uh, financing sources. We may criticize the uh, sources of uh, alternative finance, financing, but uh, it's also uh, an indication that G20 and we're not doing enough for low-income countries. So uh, to make the Bretton Woods institutions fairer and closer to their original purpose of providing global financial safety nets, I think we need to uh, expedite the governance reform of the Bretton Woods institutions. Constant calls for uh, the governance reform of the Bretton Woods institutions is a G20 mandate, I think. And G20 can exert leadership in this regard. And U.S. monetary policy decisions also affect tremendously, immediately, almost, uh, you know, uh, the entire nation. It's exacerbating the economic situation even more in developing countries. So the G20's coordinating role should be enhanced, should be upgraded for global public goods. And also another dimension uh, is to uh, assist the low-income countries to develop capacity of uh, risk assessment and management. I know you're asking me to stop. <laughs> I'll continue later. Thank you. No, you've given us some very good points. And I, as all of you were speaking, I was thinking of the statement that was issued um, yesterday. Um, and one of the um, striking features of that is the focus of at least highlighting all of the development issues that um, have been reflected around this panel in a fairly prominent way. So as we look forward, we know what the challenges are. We know what our priorities uh, need to be. 
Um, I'm going to ask each of you to recommend one or make one proposal, very concrete proposal, um, that you think should be part of the, uh, not just the G20 agenda, but really a proposal for countries to act on together. And um, maybe we start with you, Director General. Uh, difficult questions because I guess uh, we all have a number of priorities uh, to suggest. But uh, let me focus on one which I feel uh, from our perspective is very important. What we see in these days is that uh, due to a number of reasons, uh, be it uh, the political crisis, be it uh, natural catastrophes, uh, be it whatever reasons, there are a number of countries who are extreme, which are extremely vulnerable. Funds may be collected and may be available, but for instance, uh, uh, international financial institutions are putting a number of conditionalities, if I may use uh, this word, that quite often prevent G20 countries or the, the, the countries in need to benefit uh, from the availability of sources. So my proposal would be, and I'm not suggesting that uh, funds should be made available without, of course, procedures or without incentives in order to uh, utilize uh, in an efficient way the funds that are made available. But what I am suggesting is that probably we should not only cut the red tape, we should not only make the procedure simpler, but we should be ready to provide the financing when actually the finances is needed. No point to intervene when the situation is uh, it, not, there is no longer a possibility of remedies. We are seeing it especially in Africa, an area where my country is particularly inclined, uh, uh, of course, to contribute and uh, to create partnership and to work together to see what solutions can be found. But at a certain point, there has to be the possibility of making the funds available in an efficient way, of course, but funds have to be available. Uh, and of course, there are two, three areas that I would like to recall, which in my view are extremely important. The first one is education. Education is extremely important. And even in this sector, for instance, probably funds should be made available without too much of a discussion. I mean, education is education. The only thing you need is to make sure that actually the end goal is education, but without too much discussion about it. And of course, uh, with respect to education, I would like to underline, and it would come to no surprise to you, uh, women empowerment, youth, and financial education. Financial education not only as a tool to ensure the efficiency of the investment made, but also as a multiplier of the resources that can be made available. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Minister Gunn. I will uh, <coughs> dwell once again on the first point I made, that is uh, in relation to uh, climate change and global warming. But I, am, I look at the, at, the, at the bigger picture, if you will allow me. Uh, that is the G20 uh, being engaged in reforming the global uh, governance architecture 
to meet the needs of, the, of our century. Um, as we know, the G20 had engaged uh, to advance the reform of the international monetary system and so on. Uh, the G20 set up the International Finance Working Group, uh, which played an important role and which is still playing an important role in shaping and strengthening global financial architecture. Uh, and uh, trying to respond to the needs of developing countries, uh, agriculture, food security, environment and climate change and so on. This is the bigger picture. But to answer to your precise question, uh, I would say that, uh, and I would like to add that Mauritius, like many small island developing states, we, we have made a case vis-à-vis -vis the G20, and yesterday again in my intervention I highlighted that issue, and this issue is, this plea, this request is gaining traction now. It has been raised uh, at the level of the United Nations, at the level of the Sommet de la Francophonie, at the level of the Commonwealth, and the, the argument is to push for the adoption of a multi-dimensional vulnerability index for SIDS uh, and other developing countries to, uh, to access to financing based on vulnerability. That is the point, is that the MBI uh, will give weightage for more than just the GDP. That is, the GDP should not be the only criterion to make SIDS uh, uh, or other developing countries eligible for concessionary financing. I'll give you the example of the Seychelles, for example. They have been uh, outgraded because Seychelles uh, has known some economic prosperity due to the tourism industry and so on. So they, are, they have disqualified themselves for loan. Uh, but as we know, this is a fragile state. For example, Mauritius, after COVID, we were downgraded uh, because of the economic downturn and so on. So what I'm saying is that this new index should be adopted, accepted by uh, developed countries, uh, by the West, in order to grant concessionary loan uh, to small island developing states or to developing countries. This is called the MIV, the Multi-Dimensional uh, Vulnerability Index. So this is uh, one of the plea, the request that we are making, and I think it is a very uh, uh, feasible, practical uh, solution to help uh, a country which are in need of concessionary loans in order, as I, to, I repeat, to uh, address the whole issue of global warming, warming and climate change. Thank you. Thank you. That's an excellent suggestion and probably also for something very relevant for credit rating agencies also to include in terms of thinking about whether a country is credit worthy or not is to look at vulnerability in multiple dimensions. Um, Minister Vieira, what would be your proposal? Well, thank you very much. I think that uh, the G20 is such an important platform for discussions and since its inception it was more focused or especially focused in economic and financial issues uh, till 2012 more or less when we started to when we started to uh, have the uh, uh, more or add a political uh, let's say contribution 
with the, the, the meetings uh, with the meetings of the foreign ministers. I believe that in 2009 it was fundamental to have this group during the financial crisis and the solutions that were brought were very important and very relevant uh, contributions. I think now it's the time, and I totally agree with Ms. Belloni and Minister Ganu that uh, um, education is fundamental and all the, 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 the issues that were raised are very important, but I think that now we should maybe uh, start looking with more depth to the questions of environment and climate change. I think this would be a very, very important uh, contribution of G20, and uh, it would add to the other mechanisms that you have, like the uh, the framework, work, uh, com uh, framework uh, convention on climate change and having a group of different and di diverse group of countries developed and developing countries, uh, I think this would be the perfect place and the perfect platform to discuss the needs of all countries in the world. Uh, without, uh, we cannot have democracy, we cannot have growth if we do not have a stable uh, uh, place to live and to implement policies. And climate change and, and environment is a challenge and is a threat to all countries, to all nations. No one is immune to it. So, uh, the, the government of President Lula made it a priority. It's a priority domestically and it's a priority in terms of foreign policy. So we uh, will be very active and we would like to add maybe this discussion uh, next year uh, to the G20 when we chair uh, this group. Thank you. I agree with my colleagues, uh, particularly education and the empowerment of women. I think these are critical. But what I would hope for uh, would be the creation of a stimulus package uh, that would support uh, the most disadvantaged countries and the ones that are really lagging behind on the uh, SDGs. So I would propose that the next seven years be devoted to really supporting and advance in those countries that are, we have left behind. Um, if we do that, I believe we have an opportunity for a real attack on underdevelopment and for ensuring more and more countries are supported to make advances in a number of the key goals uh, of the SDGs. But we need to be genuine about that package. Once we agree it, it must be a reality and should support action. We've had agreement on the climate change financing. Uh, it's absolutely imperative again that the 100 billion US dollars is honored and acted upon. Um, so really, uh, uh, there are agreements, decisions, that accord with what we all wish to see, but it's the actual implementation, the follow-through, the impact 
that we have to do much more on. I don't think we lack decisions. It's action uh, that is absolutely uh, necessary. So that is what I would hope we, we seek to achieve. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> you have, I think, about 30 seconds. <laughs> what? We have Q&A after that. Okay. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. I mean, uh, we don't like decisions. We don't like mechanisms. We have so many of them, one too many of them. We just don't deliver. That's the problem of the G20 as well as the G7. So it's time for G20 to start delivering, make it a, you know, legitimate, effective, and useful global forum. And finally, on your question on autarky, you know, uh, when we're seeing uh, global economic financial situations immediately directly affect our, uh, you know, economic and financial situations, <laughs> autarky, I don't think it's possible. Maybe uh, it's possible in the political, as a political rhetoric, but political rhetoric and reality are two different things. And if you are to find one autarkic state, probably you can find one in my Neighbor in the world. Thank you. Well said. Um, we have about 10 minutes for questions and answers. So, can we have, um, we'll have, we have one person there, one person behind, and there's a young lady there. Why don't we start there? We make our way here. Hi. My name is Mariana Buterque. I'm a professor at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I would like to direct my question to Minister Mauro Vieira, if I may. Uh, Minister, we have been uh, seeing many civil society groups forming around the G20, like the T20 for think tanks, the B20 for business. How do you see Brazil next year could explore more how to integrate civil society recommendations into the G20 platform? Thank you. Can we just take a round of questions and then uh, we can answer them in one go, please. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Ivan Matovic. I'm from CPEC, based in Argentina. Think tank that we have been working in the T20 for the last years. Thank you for bringing up the education issue. I think it's an under-addressed uh, topic and it's impossible for, to improve our societies without investing in our children. And um, my question is also uh, for Minister Vieira. Uh, I wanted to ask him uh, which opportunities he sees for the Mercosur and for Latin America under Brazil's presidency uh, chairing next year. Thank you. We'll take one more and then we'll uh, probably need to close. Okay, one more and one more. So, there. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a question for Minister Pandora and Vera. Um, welcome your views on IFI's reform to focus more on climate. Uh, there's some concern in developing countries that by pushing the IMF or World Bank uh, to do more on climate, we may be deprioritizing financing for de development. Is this a false dilemma? And then for Minister Ganu, I think we're going to limit it to one question. Just very quickly, I'm sorry, if you could just propose how we might bring those developing countries on board so that development and climate aren't seen as competing agendas. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, this is Mihir Bosle from Cuts International. Uh, I had a question to the panelists. Uh, in what ways can G20 help in pushing forward the global uh, fight against climate change? And uh, could a universal financial transaction tax uh, help uh, the world to enable access to definite sustainable uh, finance stream, stream uh, streamlining, streamlining finance? Thank you. 
Thank you so much. What we'll do here is uh, I'm going to first turn to Minister Vieira and Minister Pando since there were specific questions directed to you. If you could also wrap that into your closing uh, remarks and then we'll do closing remarks with the other panelists. So maybe we start with you. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, answering the, the first question, uh, Brazil is a country of dialogue and we defend multilateralism. So I believe that uh, the G20 should have this outreach to other segments of the society. Civil society is very, very important and very lively in Brazil and all over the world, I'm sure. And we have as a policy of the government to consult the civil society on every aspect of the, the, the measures and the decisions taken by the government. And we do have uh, people in my office and at the ministry, that's uh, the, the only uh, function they have is to consult the civil society and the different groups on foreign policy issues, being regional or being uh, international in general. So I think it's a very, very good question you raised. Uh, it's very important to keep this dialogue and it's also very important to, to consult and to talk to different segments of the, of the society, not, uh, I mean, uh, uh, youth, uh, education, in all different sectors, and we uh, want to have this discussion, uh, let's say, uh, and consultations before we start uh, our presidency of G20 with the Brazilian civil society and of course to invite groups, different groups from international groups of civil society to, to discuss and to add to this important uh, discussion and to bring their contribution. So uh, be sure that we will work on that. And also there, there was a question about uh, Mercosul and what we can do. Well, uh, Mercosul for us is, the, let's say, the first circle of international insertion of Brazil with our three uh, other uh, associate members, Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay. And, of course, G20, only uh, Argentina is a member with Brazil, but we will be uh, trying to implement this agreement, which was negotiated but not yet signed, uh, we would like to bring it to a final conclusion, a final debate, and uh, implementation of this agreement. I'm sure that my Argentinian colleagues, together with Brazil, will be able to bring this to, to discussion during the, the next sessions of G20. Thank you. I think uh, I was asked a question about uh, whether financing climate change detracts from development priorities. I don't think you can separate the two because the impact of climate change has a very detrimental effect on development uh, initiatives and opportunities. We've seen it, for example, in South Africa, where recently we've had terrible flooding, which is something we've not had. Um, and we're having levels of rain uh, that equate to three months of rain in three days. So clearly there's a problem. It affects your agriculture sector, 
and many others, your logistics and so on. So I think you do need uh, to respond to uh, the very bad effects of climate change and ensure um, that your country has appropriate uh, responses. And we should do so in collaboration because all of us are affected. Where I think uh, we're missing each other in the global discussion is we're not really accepting that we probably would respond differently because we have different abilities and we contributed differently to this climate uh, problem that is confronting us today. Some countries that advanced hugely with industrialization and used fossil fuels to maximum advantage now want us to stop and pause uh, development and industrialization. You can't. And then they promise funding, which doesn't become available. They don't support innovation. They don't agree on technology transfer. So if we are genuine about addressing this global problem of climate effects, we've got to work together in a more determined fashion so that we address climate change and development simultaneously. I think that's what's confronting the world. They're not opposites. Uh, they have to be addressed because they're occurring in the moment and require attention. I think we've neglected security, which was mentioned earlier. And we face real threats. On the continent, we have conflicts. We don't often talk about them. Um, we have huge terror activity in uh, the western part of Africa, in the Sahel, uh, where again you have communities that are devastated by climate change, by droughts, lack of water, and so on. Now they have these terrorists who have come out of the Libyan conflict where the West played quite a role as external parties, and these Sahel countries are left to their own to suffer the horrible effects of insecurity and instability. So I do think that we need to work at ending conflicts at ensuring peace and stability if we're going to be able to address the problems all of us have referred to. So security, absolutely imperative. Thank you. We're, all, we're actually on the dot, but I will give 30 seconds to the other panelists in case you want to make a closing statement, but it really does have to be exactly that. Do you want to start? Uh, <laughs> uh, as Bellini uh, said, uh, communication within the G28 tracks and also between G20 countries is very important. I don't think they are communicating enough. And I see a big challenge in bringing all these three tracks together because of bureaucracy. And uh, innovation. <laughs> it's, uh, innovation is uh, a great source of uh, economic growth. And uh, to uh, make innovation happen, uh, you need to invest in uh, R&D activities. You may think, well, for poor countries, we're saying you're talking about investing uh, uh, money in R&D activities. Well, it's our experience. When we were very poor in the 60s, we were still putting a lot of money in R&D activities. And Korea is a very good example of uh, a country that shows a close correlation, very good correlation between uh, uh, investment in uh, R&D activities and economic growth. Wonderful. Minister Gano. I have uh, 
focus my two, my two interventions today on climate change, but that doesn't mean that there are, there are not other challenges. And we know what are the root causes affecting uh, development uh, today. The, for example, the inability of developing countries to transform their raw materials, the level of indebtedness, the shortage of agricultural production, the capacity building, market access. All this, for example, explains the negligible contribution of African countries uh, and seeds in the global GDP. Now, to worsen the situation, come the adverse effects of climate change, the enduring impact of COVID-19, the repercussions of the conflict in Europe, and all this of backtracking the progress made by small island developing states, or of wiping away all the advances that we have made, or backtracking the SDG achievements of a majority of developing countries. This is why I come to the point I just made, that is the funds are available all the multinational organizations uh, and the uh, international uh, platforms have pledged so many billions of USD uh, to help uh, in this to curb the problem of climate change. What the point is, we must be able to unlock these funds and make them available. And this is not a middle-term or long-term solution. It could be a short-term solution, if we have the will, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think that we all agree when we, and we all converge when we say that now what is really needed is implementation of decisions. I would uh, like to add that no action is worse than limited uh, or non-perfect uh, action. A second point that I would like to recall is that I very much agree with the Minister when she said that no countries should be left behind. This is the real challenge that we have today. Of course, Africa again comes as a focus that we should keep in mind. But in this respect, since it has not yet been mentioned in this context, I would like to mention a sector where, in my view, the risk of leaving some countries behind is very high, and that is the area of digital transformation. Uh, we should keep this in mind, and digital infrastructure as well. And there is one related aspect, which is the possibility of reducing the cost of remittances. If you have an advanced digital setting, also that kind of amount of money could very well be utilized. My country has worked on this issue since uh, the beginning of our development cooperation uh, uh, thinking, but yet, you know, costs are extremely high. So let's keep this in mind as well. Thank you so much. Please join me in welcoming this wonderful panel that's given us not just a lot of food for thought, but also great ideas for the future.